Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you for joining us. As you may have noticed, I am flying solo today. Natalie Sawyer isn't with us, uh, probably because Brentford lost while Dean Smith's Villa won, so she needs to get a bit of time to recover. But to make up for this, we have not one, but two guests in the studio. We've got Mr. Gary Jacob. Morning, Gaps. And The Times resident stats man. Actually, can you? we decided... You're you're the Times' chief stats officer, yeah? Uh, Yeah, it's got to be different every week. There you go. Bill Edgar. And down the line from the lovely hamlet of Kharkiv, it's Paul Hurst. Later on, we'll be looking at the bottom of the table with the nightmare at Newcastle and the failings at Fulham. That's a clever alliteration there, isn't it? But we start with the return of Cristiano Ronaldo to Old Trafford. So we start this uh, uh, segment on Ronaldo's return um, by going in a slightly different direction. Uh, Lucy Holden has written this piece, which features prominently in the game. And Lucy, you didn't write the headline. Um, it kind of, I thought, in some ways, kind of sums up the dilemma at the center of your piece. The, the, the headline is, what do you do when the man you idolize is accused of, of rape? And you obviously, you, you went to Madeira, where Cristiano Ronaldo's from home to the Cristiano Ronaldo Museum, the Cristiano Ronaldo Hotel, and so on, uh, as well as Turin. And you spoke to people about how they felt. And the sense I got from reading it was that for many, there seems to be a real sense of confusion. First of all, we should say that Ronaldo has denied all allegations made against him. Madeira, if you haven't been, is a shrine to Ronaldo, who, um, as you said, grew up there. Everything is about him. You can't walk for a mile on the island without seeing a huge bronze statue of him. You know, the one at the airport is very covered before because it looked nothing like him. But um, he's on the back of buses in adverts. His huge face covers walls in the form of murals. You can't escape him. Madeira is branded around Ronaldo, so to to admit that he might have, have, have done something as horrific as a sexual attack would mean that they'd have to change everything about the island and about themselves, really. One of the key points here, um, I, I think, and I think it comes through in some of the people you talk to, you make the analogy with with the Pope. It's a public figure who is incredibly adored and who you feel an, an allegiance to. He's only been accused he hasn't been charged. Does it seem natural that while people would be obviously be tremendously disturbed by the allegations, they would still be inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt, the, the, the way one might with, with, with a family member or, or a close friend who, who's accused of this? Yes, 
I mean, really, that sums it up because he is, by everyone on Madeira, thought of as a friend. Um, his family still lives there. His brother runs the museum, Ugo, who we spoke to. His mother, Dolores, lives in a house there. His sister runs the shop there, the CR7 shop. Everybody knows the family. Um, it's it's that small an island. So really to accuse Renato of rape on the island is to accuse a friend of rape. And therefore, they are siding with him. I saw the same in Turin, where he was playing for Juventus on Saturday. Somebody said to me, a woman there who's been a Juventus fan since she was a baby, having grown up there, she said, he's too big to fail. That's really the, the opinion. You know, he can't. How can he? They've paid this much money, 88 million, I think, for him. And um, for it all to go wrong now would be just too devastating for them. Yeah, I, it, it, it's interesting because it, what comes through quite clearly is the differences in the reaction between Madeira, where, you know, he's got this, he, he's from there, he, he's, he's part of them, yeah. and Juventus, where, you know, he he rocked up three months ago, and it kind of feels that, and I thought this was actually kind of disappointing, in a lot of the quotes, mm. it, it seemed that, oh, but he's been so good. He's such a talented. He makes the people around him better. I mean, I, exactly. I, yeah. You know, Juventus's press office tweeted tweeted something to that effect, which was which I found completely idiotic and, and distasteful because he's not being accused of being a poor footballer. But I found it disappointing that some of the people that was their reaction. Like I, I kind of empathize with the reaction in Madeira much more than that in Turin, if that makes any sense. Yes, no, no, it does. And um, I think basically it was a, it's a form of blocking. Um, Turin went crazy when when um, he joined them. He, he's, he's been reported to have moved there to, to try and speed up training with his new team. He's um, been seen eating out in the city, walking around. The local glossy magazine describes the reaction as delirium. They couldn't have rolled out a bigger red carpet for his arrival. So they didn't know what to do. They'd walked themselves into a corner, really. They couldn't then backtrack. I was told it took the local papers five days to cover the story. And really what you said there about people's reaction in talking about his skill, that to me was just evidence of of, a tackle of of the question, really, a, a complete block. So many people in Madeira, too, actually said to me, He's so good. There was this desire to try to separate his his talent with his personality and behavior, um, behavior in his personal life, which is completely irrelevant. And we have to stress again. Obviously, he has uh, he has not been he has not been charged. Uh, Hirsty, you you're not in Manchester now, but but uh, you were before. Uh, you've written about Cristiano's uh, early days uh, at uh, at Old Trafford. It's all been very well chronicled. What sort of reaction do you expect in midweek? Uh, have, I'm told United have, have toned things down a little bit, also because it's not the first time, of course, he comes back to, uh, to Old Trafford since leaving. What's the general sense in, in, in Manchester? Well, I remember the last time, like you say, it's not the first time he's been back to Old Trafford. He went back with Real Madrid. I remember then when the names were read out on the team sheet, the began the public address left Ronaldo's name for the last the last one and they he shouted his name aloud and he said, Welcome back to Old Trafford Cristiano Ronaldo and everyone went absolutely absolutely mental um in, in terms of like supporting him but 
you know, it, it, it probably will be a little bit more subdued this time, I would have thought. He does kind of test a, a cloud over him, doesn't he? And over his kind of returns. It does put you in a, you know, a bit of a dilemma, I guess, if, if you're attending that game. If, if, you know, if you're, you're a United fan going to that match, you know, you, you kind of think, oh, yeah, he did a great player for us. You know, he's, he's still a great player now, but what if he is guilty of this, you know, awful crime? Um, that must be hanging in, in the back of your mind. So, so yeah, I think it will be a little bit, a bit more subdued this way, yes. You, you sort of reconstructed anecdotes and stories from when he arrived at Old Trafford. Uh, some of them some of them are familiar to us, some of them were not. Uh, he really was like a very image-obsessed big kid, right? When when he was there, I'm thinking of the uh, of the teeth whitening uh, incident with uh, with Quentin Fortune. Yes, that's right. He kind of he was, you know, incredibly obsessed with his with his looks. Uh, Quentin Fortune, he talks about on one occasion um, they got a mirror, there was a mirror brought into the United dressing room, and he insisted, Ronaldo insisted on having this mirror next to his locker. Um, Fortune says so he could look at himself and. You know, just remind himself how good-looking he was, and um, so you know, check himself out uh, uh, now and again, and you know that sort of encapsulates. And he wanted to be the best at everything. He wanted to be the best footballer. He wanted to have the best body. He wanted to have the best hairstyle. He wanted to look the best. He wanted his image to be the best. And that was, you know, that he was so driven to achieve that during his time in the United that he literally went round telling everyone that, you know, I want to be the best. I will be the best. And in fact, he said that when he went into the changing room for the first time at Carrington, and you know that's quite a big call. We've got you've got some fun to do that when you consider that you know in that changing room already you've got you know Ruben Nistelroy, um, you know Roy Keane, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes. So you know you, that's what I've having spoken to some of these old coaches at United this week and his former teammates. That's that's the one impression that came across most that he was so. Kind of confident, and that really kind of shook everyone from the from the first moment they met him. But obviously, a lot of people say that, and he's actually gone gone on to back it up. So you can read uh, Paul's piece from uh, five o'clock on Monday, five o'clock uh, UK time. We'll go back to the game. Obviously, we can't ignore what what happened at the weekend. Chuchu at Chelsea. Let's start at the end and get this over with in our in our Monday Mourinho podcast. I want to get your views, guys, on. What happened at the very end with Chelsea getting that late, late, late equaliser uh, through uh, through Ross Barkley? I wasn't sure it was him, but uh, then I saw him and I recognized him. Most people didn't. Uh, some people called him the master. Uh, no, it's a guy named Marco Yanni who's he's one of Sadi's assistants. He's, he's sort of his tactical guy. He runs across the United bench, who runs in front of the United bench from the pictures we saw, turns, celebrates in front of Mourinho, and then... Runs back the other way, although we didn't actually, I didn't actually see any pictures of him running back. And it was at this point when he runs back that, you know, you see sort of Mourinho staring straight ahead and all of a sudden his light, his eyes light up and he runs after him and, and there's there, there's a melee. Gary, he obviously broke some sort of code, right? Marco Yanni, where you don't celebrate to humiliate your opponents and so therefore as a manager you're justified in jumping up out of your chair and going after him physically. Is that the... Is that the ex-pro argument? There's an etiquette, isn't there, on on the on the on the technical areas, not to do things like this, provocative. And um, do you have any clever theory about why 
Mourinho waited for him. So he did something on the no, way back, no, but we don't have he, pictures no, because, of that, do we? No, well, there was a, there was a one picture of him coming back, and it looked like he may well have said something because I'm right. not sure that Mourinho would have worked out it was him who would have. All these the Italians look alike. No, you know? no. Plus the people on the bench no, are wearing the same no, clothes. No, because so. there, was, there was, if you look at it, there's a lot of yeah. bed limb in front, right. wasn't there? So he might he not have noticed him the first time. He, he, he may have just seen the water coming that way. Right. He may not have realised who it was. So when he comes back, it looks like, when you see the one image of it, it looks like he may well have, he potentially may have said something. Okay. Because that's, cause that's the way Mourinho reacts, as if, right, okay, you said something and I'll react to that. Do you not? Did you? Do you disagree? Or yeah, we either said something or, or made a rude gesture or gesture. something. I mean, it, Mourinho could clear it up straight away, of course, but he didn't. Want, he felt Marco Ionio had apologised, and he thought, oh, maybe I'll, I'll just let it lie now. And secondly, he's done so many terrible things. He doesn't want to kind of it to rumble on and. It, it, all the papers they list fifty thing terrible things that Mourinho have done, okay, but so, uh, but so we, we don't really we're not. Pardon? Can we not show Mourinho? Yeah, yeah I, don't, I think it would like, be. I mean, it, it's sort of understandable if you saw the way that he Iani uh, celebrated in front of him, and then at the very least, kind of celebrated for staring at him at close range. You know, five ten seconds later after the dust staring had settled, at me. should I get up well, and go just, after him? No, no. I think that when people make the argument that if you're a manager, you kind of you can't react to these situations i mean that's that's quite a difficult thing to do in this this circumstance is it his former club it's the 96th minute it's an equalizer with 30 seconds to go crowder on him there's a lot of factors he's had a difficult time for the last two months with, a, with his future so when you put all of those into the thing it only requires one little thing to set him off and I suppose since Marino's left he's made quite a few digs it's not the first time we've shown the three fingers is it as well no. so He's probably made quite a few digs. But the one thing I'll say in, about Chelsea fans is that, like all supporters, they're quite fickle. And three years down the line, yeah. if Mourinho's available and they're in a difficult sweat, suddenly the rose-tinted well, glasses it's the Sergio coming. Ramos argument, right? Yeah. If Sergio Ramos it's, were English, y'all would love him, right? Yeah. Holding up three fingers, all it tells me is that you were a successful manager who won things here. But the premise of that is we should respect you more because you were successful than... We should go and respect, I don't know, Andre Villas Boas or Rafa Benitez, who was who was less successful when he was there. What what's what's the basis of that? We respect people who are successful, and we disrespect. But it's okay to disrespect people who who, who stink at their job. I mean, what is that? Is this the argument? The problem is he's he's made quite a few digs, isn't he, since he's left, and 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 the digs get under people's skin, and and therefore he gets it chucked back in in his face. Let's move on to another United, Newcastle. They have somehow now lost their first five home games of the season following their defeat to Brighton on uh, on Saturday. George Colkin, he writes, this is a club flawed from the top down and capable of putting two good decisions together with a rich history of bafflement and failure. The manager has tried to change it to the point of exhaustion. Um, he says blaming Rafa Benitez would be like blaming the iceberg for being in the way of the Titanic. I'm going to ask you, as somebody who's from London, do you share the pain of Newcastle? Do you get this? Or are you kind of like baffled and say, like, why isn't this like any other club that makes bad decisions? Or are you are you in swooped of, up in this Calkin-esque narrative? No, I'm not. No. No, you don't no, care. <laughs> you don't no, care. No, no, well, I think I've got sympathy in terms of... Uh, Obviously, Rafa, they spent, they sold players in the summer and they made a profit and 
so effectively he's a, he's a, he's, un, he's relatively understrengthened compared to last season while clubs like Fulham are spending 100 million West Ham spending yeah, sorry, I've got, on, I've got, on, I've got sorry, all of those on, on, on the profit front they made a profit small one because they sold Mikel Marino who had his ups and downs last season and clearly wasn't part of Rafa's plans anymore they sold Chancel and Bemba big loss there and of course they sold Mitrovic for a ton of money but again he <laughs> he wasn't there, right? Yeah. But when you look at the squad, it's a better squad than perhaps their position in the table. There who has are, a there, worse there, squad? Who has the worst squad? Huddersfield? Yeah. Cardiff? Yeah. Um, Those are the two that jump out at you. Brighton? Uh, yeah, probably yeah. Brighton. But Brighton are a team. Charlie, the producer, suggests Burnley have a worse squad. Uh, I saw Burnley against Wolves and uh, they've certainly got problems. Yeah, I'd say that. Yeah. I think Newcastle have got individually quite a decent midfield. Diame, good ball winner. Shelby's Shelby. fine long passer. Um, Richie and Kennedy, kind of decent creative types. So they shouldn't be at the bottom, certainly. Um, but, uh, Are you going to blame Rafa, or is that like... Uh, mm, a little bit. Oh, I guess blame the owner most. I mean, Newcastle have got long-term problems. For, for a, such a, for a club that's consistently in the top 10 attendances throughout history... Uh, not to have won the league since 1927. Uh, there's some sort of long-term issue. They've only been in the top three four times since then. It should have been much, much more. You can look at the last ten years and say Ashley's messed up commercially. Hasn't they've not improved at all uh, in terms of their commercial income? Whereas other clubs have leapt forward, so they should have a lot more money. But but even on the uh, wage bill, as I understand it, they should be a lot higher. Yeah, I, I they had the eighth highest wage bill in the country when they were in the championship, for example. I mean, the, the argument in favour of Rafa is, is obviously that you know he's won lots of things, blah blah blah. So it, it can't necessarily be his fault because he's proved himself to be a good manager. But you would probably expect to be doing better than they are. What has he got? Two points. The whole club looks unhealthy from the outside. Looking at it from down here, you do, from the top down, it just looks unhealthy wherever you go. You've got. Probably Rafa's looking for his next job and maybe has been since the summer when West Ham were available. They're now looking for potential change. He's looking for where else he can go. That, it's just not a healthy situation, is it really? It's sort of, it's no one really, it's like he, do, he doesn't want to be there. They're not sure about him. So. But you don't care, you said. I, I, I care because I've got friends in Newcastle. George. No, I... <laughs> I was wondering though if we if if it's uh, it's be, if, if to, to what degree the I think sometimes the perhaps it's different to London where there's so many clubs or there it's 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 a completely different area and people get sucked up into it and everything so it's, you're slightly different in London you're a lot more impartial to some of the, but the clubs. But I, I, I wonder here. though to what degree the aura of the club. You know, it certainly influences how we view how we view the story because Newcastle, I think, undeniably have an aura about them in the same way Leeds United did. And when Leeds was was ruined by certain people, I think some of us felt English football was losing something. Right? Do we feel the same way seeing Newcastle in the state, or is that a myth? Because then people mention like the seventies and stuff like that, and and those long periods when when Newcastle kind of perpetually underachieved relative to their attendances. Yeah, you would like to. I mean, ups and downs in football all part of the story. It's it's fine for big clubs to you know have spells in the lower division. It's a nice story, but, but it's to been be what like ten years more than that. Yeah, I think I think they would, would you be miss Newcastle if they went if they if they went the way of Leeds. Yeah, I think I think it would well, probably people would welcome before. Leeds back. Yeah, but they came straight back up. 
But Newcastle, I mean, you're missing them from the, the top six, you know, from yeah. actually trying to uh, win a trophy. You know, they're, they're a long way from that. What's your view on Newcastle, Gabs? I think when you have an owner who's clearly not interested and not committed, it creates a gen- an enormous negative vibe around the club. I think the romance of Newcastle also impacts the way we view them. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because they are part of, for whatever reason, they, they, they are part of the narrative of English football and in the way many other clubs are not. By the same token, I think, you know, if you caught Rafa in an honest moment, you'd go back and say, like, there were certain things that, you know, we could have done differently or, or, or we could have done better. That whole Mitrovic affair was was just odd to me, and obviously the the, the Dwight Gale, you know, again hindsight being twenty twenty, you know, maybe maybe not the cleverest thing, but yeah, I, I think clearly the players are are better than their than their league position, yeah, but, but yeah. easily Rafa's got a, a tough job ahead. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's move on to another manager who, unlike Rafa, uh, his club were one of the five biggest spending teams in Europe in in net terms. Uh, Fulham. Um, They lost to Cardiff. Some people are suggesting Djokanovic might might be replaced at some point. Um, Gary, I'm going to go to you because you're also our, our transfer guru. They signed 27 players in the summer. I certainly felt that way. Uh, they signed a lot. It, it, it seemed like a, like a lot of them, I thought, like, oh, these are potential, you know, value signings. Like, we knew Vieto was really, really highly rated a few years ago. Yeah, bring him in. He's obviously talented. Shorla, same thing, right? He's, look, I mean, the guy, you know, was in the World Cup final and stuff. And and you, you, you get all these guys, the, the, the dude they got from Marseille, whose name escapes me right now, like, and we said, you know, highly rated. Yeah, he's got, he's got ability. But... You bring so many in one go when the pieces don't fit together, and what's going on? Can you explain? What was it? What's the strategy? I mean, is there, is, is, is there a director of football? Is it Tony Khan who's the director of football? Or in, in effect, yeah. So, what, what were they trying to do? Clearly, they didn't feel their squad was good enough for the Premier League. So they just went out and bought a new one. Well, perhaps they they veered too much the other way and, and bought too many new faces in. Um, but if you look at it. When you look at the, the signings, they didn't really strengthen properly, probably in defence. 
You've got Mawson, Chambers, who's not brilliant. Well, sorry, so, you say they strengthen in defence. I mean, no, Mawson was in England. He's, he's an England yeah. squad player, right? England squad yeah. player. And what's his name? Is it Callum Chambers, right? He's got the pedigree, Arsenal. He has a bunch of England caps. But, I mean, you could see the logic in saying, no. let's get this guy and relaunch his career. Or what, is Chambers just bad forever? I couldn't see any logic in Chambers at all. Haven't could you see it. the logic when Arsenal signed him? I think Wenger signed him on one game, which is Southampton against Arsenal, where Chambers, from memory, might play it right back. The word is when Wenger turned up Southampton to buy, they assumed he was going to buy Schneidlin, and then he said, oh, I'll have Chambers, and Southampton were like mystified by the whole thing. So he was only eighteen then, wasn't he? So yeah. he was bought and, on potential. And, and frankly, judging Wenger on trying to sign a defender is a terrible. Uh, oh yeah, but, terrible, sorry, but Chambers but, also had got a bunch of under twenty one caps. I'm pretty yeah. sure he played for England yeah. as well in one of those cheaper yeah. things. Is yeah. Chambers just some colossal fraud? Is he? Is he? You know, is this what he is? Is he, is he a con artist? I don't understand. No, like he showed signs of improvement towards the end of last season when he came on for Koscielny in the semi final against Madrid, <laughs> and he and he, he looked like he was showing signs of improvement. The problem with it, he goes on these loans and going somewhere like Fulham where there's no protection in front of him, he's going to get exposed quite often. And that's no, that's no good for him as a, as a learning curve. If you look at Jukanovic this season, six different centre-back partnerships. He doesn't know what his best team is. He doesn't know the best lineup, the change, the substitutions. Who are can his be two best centre-backs? Good question. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Again, Dennis Adoy was the main Mawson guy one other, last probably. year. Dennis Adoy and, and yeah. Tim yeah, Ream were the main guys last year. Maybe they, they brought in five new defenders. I mean, they also, we haven't mentioned, yeah, well, Fossey Mensha, Joe Bryan and, and Le Marchand as well. But he's just been chopping and changing so much. And uh, Adoy has played right back and centre back. Chambers has played both. There's been so much change that it's hard to, there's no settled pattern at all. There's very little protection for them. I'm going forward. They've been fine. I think you know Schuler, Vieta have been fine. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Mitrovic. Obviously, Seri's looked good. Um, so uh, they're just far too open. They're, you know, look back to the season when they were relegated, 2013-14. They used 39 players, which was the most. Uh, by any top flight team in one season since 1919 to 20 and they're carrying on in the the same kind of haphazard vein they're heading heading down at the moment and to go into similar similarity with Newcastle where you've got Rafa going into last year's contract not taking a new contract perhaps looking elsewhere Yukanovic he brings the team up you'd expect the first thing he he would do is to sign a new contract and say I'm committed to the club the club are committed to me he has talks. He turns down the offer because perhaps he thinks he might get something better. Did That's he actually that. turn down the offer? Or was yeah. he given the sort of offer that they would have expected him well, to turn that, down? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Because I, I've been led to believe. I think both sides clearly aren't. Yeah, I think both sides clearly aren't enamoured with each other. But that's not a healthy state, is it, for a guy who's brought you up? You would expect. It's not ideal, but by the same token, these guys are professionals, right? I mean, I I, I appreciate. Djokovic might feel better about himself. He's like, yes, I have a Pochettino contract. The club believe in me. It's great, and I'm making more money, and so I come to work with a smile on my face. But the reality is, Slavisa, um, you're managing a Premier League side. You should be coming to work with a smile on your face every day because there are a bazillion people out there who would love to have your job. And 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 you can turn the fact that you didn't necessarily commit into a positive because it means that if you keep Fulham up and with all this, all these talented players they gave you, you know, I, they looked kind of like a mid-table team, right? Potentially in terms of in terms of talent, right? 
you do that and you don't have and you're not bound by a contract, you can go and move up to a bigger club next year, right? So I don't buy this as an excuse for you know, I liked Jokanovic a lot. I liked him as a player, actually, uh, when he come on for those last few minutes. And but this this could this could have worked to his advantage, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be this way. But that that was part of his thinking as well when he didn't sign it, that he would have been in a strong position that if if he did well. But it's it's not it's it's a strange situation to to for to to have that with with a manager going to the, you know Wenger had it. What's going on with your contract? That's a very strange situation around the club. But the only time I've seen Fulham live this season was against Tottenham and they just looked remarkably open. And it was a game where they lost 3-1, they could have lost 7-1. So, you know, there was too many chances. And you can't, at the top level, you can't do that. I mean, you've probably seen them, haven't you, Gabs? Um, yes, I have. And it looks, it looks like a team that's not really been coached, actually. And that's, that's what I found disappointing with, with Djokovic. Time now to find out how Natalie and I got on in our weekly predictions game. The two of us are tied across the season as a whole. As you know, after taking a wide lead, I decided to uh, to go and let Natalie get back into it. No, I didn't. Natalie's done really well. In the Bundesliga, we both expected Bayern's struggles to continue and predicted a draw out Wolfsburg. We were wrong. Bayern got back to winning ways, uh, despite Arya and Robin getting sent off. Probably something to do with uh, the absolute riot act that Uli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge read the German media on Friday. We also thought it would be more misery for Mourinho and predict that Chelsea win at Stamford Bridge. And while it no doubt felt like a defeat for Mourinho, it was, of course, a draw. We both had Everton beating Palace on Sunday, so that's good. Here's where we were different. Natalie backed Bournemouth to beat Southampton, but I correctly went for the draw because I believe in Sparky. However, in the championship, I predicted defeat for Dean Smith in his first game in charge of Villa. But Natalie was right in calling a Villa win over Swansea, which means that this week is actually a draw between Natalie and myself. No winners, uh, so we're still level 4-4 across the season as a whole. The deadlock cannot be broken, or at least until next week. All right, enough of this. How about some quick hits? Manchester City beat up Burnley 5-0, but Sean Dyche is annoyed, and rightly so. Yes, I'm with the big ginger one on this point. Uh, first, Vincent Company escapes a red, and then City score a goal after the ball appeared to go out of play. Then Sané kicks out Matty Loughton while he's walking by. How is this not a red, like, and possibly a, a criminal charge? Bill, you have sympathy, right? Hey. I, again, I don't want to go on about the referees and VAR or even question the fact that City are a much better team and deserve to win. But if you're Sean Dyche, you're kind of like, what the hell? These guys are professionals. This is really, really bad, right? Yeah, a company you could certainly argue should have been sent off for dangerous play. Uh, I probably not malicious. He was just just too late. Uh, Lennon got in very quickly and he was too late. But I mean, company is getting caught out for pace now and again. And of course, it was the first minute, so people don't get tend to get sent off early on, which is obviously wrong. Uh, did the ball go out of play? I watched it a hundred times. Couldn't be sure if I had to put my life on it. I'd say it probably didn't. There was a tiny bit of the ball, maybe over the line, but tiny. you'd need you'd need byline technology, as we see goal line technology. Is, is, you're absolutely clueless. No. You just need an assistant referee who's in line with it, and had he been there, he would have noticed mm. that the ball went out of uh, the ball went out of play. Well, I, I couldn't. I've you seen can't all... possibly be in line, can you? You can't. But it's a post, in it, way. It, but yeah. I mean, you, you, it's you just post to a player in a way, and then you're at an angle. And the post is the... in line with the white line, right? So if you see the ball on the other side of the post, it's gone out of play. 
it could have gone out of play and you still don't see it. So, but from the TV, you couldn't tell. So, right, I Sonny? Don't know. What's your excuse for Sonny? Um, no, you, you, I yeah, can be, uh, yeah, be right. Whatever. Annoys me. Liverpool get three points at Huddersfield as Jurgen Klopp gets one over on his old mate, David Wagner. Gary, this performance, though, was nothing to write home about, was it? No. It or do you subscribe to the notion whereby winning while not firing in all cylinders is a sign of strength? Uh, Bill will probably know the stats better than I, but I, I kind of think that's a bit of a worn cliche. Mm-hmm. That, that the idea when you're not playing well, and in fact, Pochettino was asked that on Saturday, well, you're not playing well, does it mean it's a sign of this? But I think when you, you look at it, there are it applies to certain teams over the years, but there are other factors chucked into that that, that make that stand up. And uh, I don't believe that cliche. But, you know, it was only a few weeks ago, Liverpool wonderful against Tottenham. So, And then bad against Napoli. Everton leave it late, but eventually dispatch Crystal Palace 2-0 with a big help from their substitutes and from Jordan Pickford, who saves a penalty. Bill, your choice. Would you rather praise Marco Silva for his three wins on the bounce or share your worries over Roy Hodgson, whose Palace side have taken one point from the last four? I'm not too worried about uh, Palace at the moment, really. I don't think they'll be anywhere near the relegation zone at the end of the season. Everton, I think there's a pleasing style. They're, they're, they're better to watch than they were last season. And, and Jordan Pickford, a great save. He, he, he had two options covered. He dived to the left, so he might well have stopped it if the ball had gone that way. But he also had the presence of mind to keep a, a firm leg dangling in the centre of goal in case the ball was hit in that direction. And as it was, and he saved it well. I think it showed a goalkeeper in top physical condition and uh, with an alert mind. And if you watch his match of the day two uh, interview, he seemed, also seems like a pretty likable guy. Uh, Spurs are still severely under strength, but nevertheless, uh, they edged West Ham 1-0. Gary, did they deserve the three points? And you wrote about Eric Lamella today. Can he fill the gap? They deserved the three points. West Ham didn't really create any intensity in the game at all. Uh, and Spurs did the job. Tell me about Lamella. Come on, get me excited. I want Lamella to be the guy we thought he could be five years ago. Yeah, but... Hey, now, cockle. But, but this is interesting, Gabs, isn't it? Because I, he got 15 goals in his last year at Roma. But he ever since then, he's never... Is he a different player to then? He looks, to me, from the outside, a completely different player. 15 goals in Italy is, is a lot of goals. So tell me, was he completely different at Roma? Did he play more advanced? Did he was he a better finisher? He had a because, really bad injury too in the middle of it. Absolutely. Don't forget. Yeah, but that was in his third season at Spurs, or fourth. I think it was the second season second, actually. Uh, second, no. Th- he got injured in his first season too, but not yeah, as long. Yeah, he did. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but tell me, is he? Is there a guy who can actually get fifteen goals? Or Look, I mean, I, I think we we we, we seems to get bogged down in this stuff, but. You can see if somebody's technically gifted, yes? And you can see if he's athletic. He is both, right? That's, 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 not, that's not in debate. So then you ask yourself, is he producing to the level of his talent and his athletic ability? And if he's not, you ask yourself, why? Is it because he's thick? Is it because he's not being used properly? Is it because he's demotivated? Is it because he's got psychological problems? Whatever it is. I, I don't know. I think at, at Roma, he, he had a perfect environment he was new to european football he didn't he had a ton of enthusiasm now to me he seems jaded um i think the first season i don't think he was as poor in the first season i think he was just bigged up so much by by some people he started to settle to a very different brand of of football in the premier league and i think the rest is probably the injury but i think there's still a player in there if it can come out i think the thing is people thought he was the new he was going to just be the same as bale and he clearly isn't the same type of player and what's interesting to me is it 
on Saturday, he, he's the one who actually really puts his foot in and actually sets the tempo. He's the one that rushes hard. He's the one that presses. He, he actually is almost more British than some of those British players in that team in terms of how, what he was doing for Pochettino. Yeah, he wasn't Saturday. doing that before. And he but, wasn't. And that, maybe the injuries changed that. Maybe he's had to adjust to his game because he's now more of a midfield player than an actual a yeah. wide player because he's not really going to get around. He hasn't got the pace to get around players. But, you know, he's got, he's got a, a good return his goals this season and he'll probably get his highest... If he carries on, he'll get the highest return. So... Um, but it, Saturday was only his first league start. So that, that, that tells you something. Gav, one for you. The Clasico is only a week away, so who should be more concerned? Is it Real Madrid, who lost again and he might be on the verge of sacking Julian Lopetegui, or Barcelona, who lost Lionel Messi through injury and will be out for three weeks? I think they should both be concerned. I'm going to argue that I think maybe Barcelona should be more concerned here. Um, The reason is, yes, Real Madrid lost. Lopetegui made some odd decisions, leaving, uh, leaving Bale and Kroos and Benzema on the bench. But, you know, they did hit the woodwork three times. They did create chances. The mood is absolutely rotten. But with Barcelona, if you just look at it, they beat Seville 4-2 and you rate, great, it's a good team. But they scored those two Those two goals early on were pretty much uniquely down to Messi. Then they got another thing. It was a penalty through Luis Suarez on the back of a counterattack. And then Rakitic scored a worldie in the end. In between, they conceded two goals to Seville. They conceded also an incredible array of chances. Marc-Andre Ter Stegen put in perhaps the, the best goalkeeping performance we've seen in Europe this season. This would be a big concern because now with Messi gone, you, Ernesto, have to figure out how you're going to attack. And on top of that, you also have to sort out what's happening at the at the back because, frankly, it's simply it's simply not good enough right now. So given that uh, I'm not sure Titi will be back, I, I think his options are limited. He's got to work on this in training. And also... Uh, whereas Real Madrid plays uh, play Victoria Pilsen in midweek, Barcelona have a slightly tougher task in Inter Milan. So I'm going to suggest Barca, actually. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guests, uh, regulars from the Times Watch Desk, Bill Edgar, Gary Jacob, and Paul Hurst, and also... Lucy Holden, who, of course, uh, reported on perceptions of Ronaldo from Madeira and Turin. Definitely worth your time reading the piece. Now, remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It'll cost you just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. I think that's a tremendous deal. Search a Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Thursday. And, of course, Natalie Sawyer will be alongside. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.